The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Father, you are so good to us, and um, what an amazing privilege that we actually get to speak to someone who's there. And it is not whistling in the dark. It's not a hope that has no basis in, in reality. Because you are there, because you hear us, we pray. Because of your mercy and your kindness, we ask for your presence. And because of your incredible love, we know that you hear us and respond. So this morning, as we're continuing the conversation um, of the truth between us, as we think and talk about our, our friends in the atheist camp, our atheist friends, our atheist family members, uh, I pray that you'd help us love like you love to recognize ourselves in them and to be an example of you to everyone. In your son's name, amen. I'd like to read a long passage to you. It's out of Matthew 28. After the Sabbath at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary uh, went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. You know, because this is a fairly familiar story for many of us, um, you could just read it and, you know, it almost means nothing. But um, try to picture this like a movie. Like someone's, you know, panning and directing this movie, you know. The earthquakes, the guards. I mean, all of you saw Passion of the Christ. You know what Italian uh, Roman soldiers look like. And... Um, and and some being, something that actually goes down there and moves a stone and very bright. And, um, and you know, of course, it's kind of a freaky scene. I mean, I mean, if you take this as an historical record, which is what the author meant it to be, just recording history, it's wild. And I, don't, I think all of us would have been just as um, frightened as these guys were in verse 4. But as I've always told you, in the scriptures, almost every single time when an angel appears... Men get freaked out and get afraid. Women just start talking. Hey, how are you? What's going on? Love your shoes. And uh, verse 5, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. But he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. So come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Look, now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. It's an interesting mix. And they ran to tell the disciples. And then suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, worshipped him. And Jesus said, well, listen, don't be afraid, but go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. How do you tell that story? What, what happened? Because, you know, it would be like um, similar to, let's say, the, the agents that have to guard the president. We lost him. What do you mean you lost him? Well, there was a violent earthquake. A being came down, bright light. He disappeared. You know, I mean, how do you explain this? And I don't even know what the reaction was. I mean, how, I, it's... I think we forget some of the humanity of this story of how it would have felt to say it and then to hear it 
Um, but verse 12, there here was one response. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole them away while you were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. In other words, this was a sort of a mutually beneficial relationship. It's kind of like blackmail. Please tell this story and we'll keep you from being executed for allowing a prisoner or somebody to escape or to be misplaced. Which it's kind of like, it's not the first time somebody lost Jesus, right? Because his parents did it one time too. <laughs> I think that's what the panic was when they went to the temple by the third day. We just have to tell God we lost his kid. Let's just go tell him. Oh, he's here. Oh, great. That's worked out for everybody. Maybe that's, maybe that's not how it happened. So the, verse 15, so the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this, this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And here's what I want to draw your attention to. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Um, I recall the first time somebody pointed that, pointed that out to me, uh, verse 17, and thinking how odd it was in, in the context of where that verse is found. I mean, just looking at it by itself, here was a person... Well, here's a group of men and women who were followers of this rabbi. They saw things that he had done. They heard the stories from other people who were witnesses of things he had done. A man who untied knots and seemed to explain things about them. And then they see him horribly, horribly murdered, executed. And then, a few days later, they see him back. And they're talking. And he says, hey, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I am the Messiah. He's explaining and wrapping these things. And then verse 17, that's what strikes me odd about it. Like, oh my gosh, they worshiped him. A natural response, an incredible human being or, or incredible being. But comma, but some doubted. And I think if those of us who have friends who are, um, you know, claim to be an atheist, and I'm not poo-pooing that. I, I just think that it's... Um, most people really don't know what they're saying when they say that. I think there are, obviously there are genuine men and women who are atheists, but we probably don't really know them. <laughs> We've seen their books, you know, Dawkins, Hitchings, others. God is not great. God is not the God who is not there. I mean, on and on it goes. But most of our friends probably have a, maybe of an agnostic view that there's an uncertainty. It's a possibility that there's something out there, but I'm not certain. Or if, even if there is, how could you know? Now, Aristotle brought this out years ago when he pointed out that if there's more to know about God, then he himself is going to have to reveal it to us because we can't go there. He has to come here. Interesting kind of a setup for, uh, for the story of Christianity. But let, let, me, let me pull back a little bit. I, I, I do want to address it as if th th we have... Our friends who are atheists, as we've looked at our friends who are Muslim, and we saw the similarities there. I mean, a lot of similarities. That the, the almost long path that Islam and Christianity has walked, 
and the one-fourth that separates us. And I, we summarize that story as, you know, two sons, one father, both trying to win his love. And we looked at our friends in the Buddhist camp and we saw the, uh, the, the struggle and the problem of sin and shame and guilt and how Buddhists and Christianity deals with it. The quest for enlightenment. The, the fact that all of life is suffering because we crave the wrong thing. Because we have an ignorance of reality. And Christianity would say, yeah, I get that. That's true. And how both Buddha and Jesus were known for their extraordinary generosity and selflessness and willingness to give enlightenment to anybody who would ask. But with our atheist friends, we think, oh, there's nothing in common. There's almost everything in common. Because both systems, and I realize that uh, uh, perhaps an, uh, an atheist who truly identifies as one would, have, would, would, would kind of recoil at the sense of thinking that his belief system is a religion. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it is, but with this definition, that, that any religious system or any religion is an attempt to answer life's big questions. That's it. That's all that it is. And this is why a religion in and of itself, by itself, is not life-giving. It, it's a structure, but it's not life. Um, so questions like, you know, why am I here? You know, and, and where am I going? And what is the meaning of us? And what makes for a good life? Questions that philosophers for years have asked, and people still ask, even if they don't consciously formulate those words, that's still the question. Why am I here? Where am I going? What's the meaning of us? What is the good life? How should I live? Uh, years ago, uh, some of you maybe might have a copy of this book um, by Francis Shaver back in the 70s when it was first published, How Then Shall We Live? I remember the buying this book and trying to unwrap it. Ever, ever read those books where you read a chapter, it's in English, and you know you, it's in English and you've read it, and you realize you have understood nothing, and you have to go back over and over again? So doubt and disbelief in and of themselves are not really anything. Um, they're, they're, because we have to look at, recognize, here's the first common thing I notice between folks who, who claim not to believe in God and those of us who do, okay? There's intensities of that belief system down the road. You, you have a, a hard atheist, a soft atheist, a, um, you know, there's, there's variations of belief in that system, just as there is with folks who claim to be followers of Jesus. You know that. I know that. And depending on where we are in our station in life, it absolutely affects our belief levels. We, we'd like to hold the view that perhaps we're not, um, let's say, affected by pain and suffering. That we are, deeply. Or that we can't be touched by loneliness, but we do. Or that perhaps success or good fortune or um, uh, you know, uh, maybe a pain-free or painless life doesn't affect our beliefs, but you know it does. You've heard me say many times that you learn nothing when, when, when things are going well. You learn nothing in success, I usually have summed it up. It's usually when things have gone wrong that you discover truly, really what you truly believe. When there's deep pain, loneliness, confusion, that's when you find out what you believe. I think it's true for our atheist friends. Does my system work for me? 
So atheism and monotheism are both religious systems. Both, both, listen to this, both systems are absolutely committed to living in reality. Follow? If we start with the assumption that there is a God, then, you know, if that's, if that's reality, if we claim that to be true, then, then of course it, it has, you know, monumental implications. Who, who is this God? I mean, it, it, it answers one question and then opens up another set of huge questions. Is this God personal? Is it just a force? What is my responsibility to this God? Is this God benevolent? Or a big bully in the sky? Both systems require that knowledge to be textured. Well, both systems require any knowledge to be textured or filtered through that understanding. So let's say I, I come to the conclusion or I, come to, or I start with, there is no God. I still have to answer the questions. That doesn't get me off the hook. Just as it doesn't for the believer. Why am I here? Where am I going? What's my purpose? Do I have a purpose? Am I speaking to myself? Am I alone? Is there love? What defines beauty? None of those questions are left unanswered simply because I refuse to believe or I choose not to believe or come to the conclusion that I cannot believe in a God. And listen, for many of us, we look at life and what occurs, what we experience personally. And you and I have wondered, well, if God is really there, why this? How can this possibly be true if God is there? And so you have to feel, I think, to a large extent, at least uh, respect the fact that an, our atheist friends are in the same boat we are. They're just starting from or come to a, a conclusion that doesn't include God. So one system excludes God. Another system includes God. But the questions and the pattern and the, trying to figure out life still remain the same. Atheism has various schools of thought. It could be philosophical. What is the mind? What is the body? What is love? What is beauty? It could be irreligious, uh, simply a rejection um, because of crime and, and evil, and which, you know, if you're atheist, it, and I've heard this argument, it sounds weak, but I've heard the argument that, that if you're an atheist, then it automatically means that you give up your right to define evil or to claim there's an evil. And, um, and there's reasons for that, but, but, but I, I just think that's weak because I think in totally as, as human beings, there's something that we know that no matter what you may think religiously or spiritually, that violence, let, I'll just make it easy, violence against children is wrong, correct? That, you know, violence against women is wrong. Violence in general is wrong. War is wrong, right? We just intuitively know some things are wrong, regardless of what you believe. And so for someone to, who is a follower of Jesus to feel that they don't share morality with our friends who are atheists, you know, if you're a follower, I'm just going to say that you're not thinking. You've come to a simplistic, bumper sticker conclusion about your faith and others. You're thinking in a very black and white way, which tells me that you feel you're in, everybody else is out, and so you probably think of others as the others instead of members of humanity. Let me, let me suggest that, you know, this isn't, a, uh, this isn't really quite a note, but I, I want to maybe 
position this to color the entire series as we've talked about over and over again that I wanted to make this a series so that we can have intelligent conversations with our friends that have different belief systems. Because most of us think this way. I'm going to, this might be a little backfeed, I know. Most of us think that, you know, we've got to get people into church or spiritual community, right? And so most of our thought about um, people and God is everybody else is outside. And so my job is to go outside occasionally, but really quickly because I don't want to be in the world and then bring them into church. All right. What if, what if it's more like this? I walked over for a dramatic effect. Yeah, I think it worked. What if this is God? Hang in there with me. I know it's a speaker. And, and everyone is just around with different orientations to some closer. You follow some, some that seem to be far away, but actually facing God. Like our Muslim friends. Some who claim to be very, very close, but have their back towards God. A lot of us. Greedy. Don't give a rip about people in poverty. Um, it, and I mean that because it shows about how we give or don't give. Um, and that perhaps our job as followers of Jesus is just to help everybody, no matter where they're at, to just reorient towards God. Because he's the draw. Not our stupid logical arguments. Not your certificate in apologetics or your degree. I mean, if you got that, great. I mean, I'm not dumping on that much. Uh, I mean, I, I, by the way, I, I did that. I had the certificate. I went to the classes. I did that. So I'm speaking to myself because all, those, all that time I spent trying to develop an intellectual foundation or proof that would, you know, be irrefutable demonstration that God exists and therefore you should believe what I believe. There wasn't a single person ever helped to faith. And when I read in the book of John, how he gave the ultimate apologetic that if you just love people as I have loved you, then they'll catch on. Funny thing is, people started coming to faith in Jesus. All right, back to this. So, um, there's probably people who are relationally atheists. Um, you know, this is always the simplistic, the man or woman that has the dad issues. Uh, the person that just rejects their family's upbringing. Person that just, if, if, if this is what religious people are like, I'm out. Now, who hasn't in this room thought that? There's, I recognize there's even a psychological atheist that there are some folks that just have a proclivity to believe and others to not believe. It's just what you're naturally bent towards. You recall a few months back when I put up the uh, I Want to Believe poster? What was that from? X-Files. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I, have, I wanted to believe. I recall as a kid thinking, who made me? I mean, I get it. I mean, I wasn't able to understand the whole sex thing with my parents. Like, ew. But, you know, they, uh, that thing. But, but why am I here? And since we had pets and things, so you could see something starts and then there's an end. And I, you know, I told you about my death obsession. I'm still wearing black. That um, it, even at a young age, I remember thinking, I'm going to die one these days. Kind of a bummer little child. That's what I was. 
I recall even doing the Ouija board, trying, when will I die? You know, it said 52, so it lied. Uh, so, um, but something about this made, told me that there must have been somebody or something that made stuff because everything seemed to have a beginning and an end and a maker and everything sort of worked. Don't you have that moment, Mark? Who made flowers? Why does this fit? Who made food? I mean, I know my mom made it, but who made my mom that made food that made my mom? You know, that, those kind of questions. I was a lonely child. So when... I went to church. I remember the, the conscious thing of being in church and just thinking, I do remember my mom took me to this one little church where it was just dilapidated and kind of run down and this, that, and the other. And I was, I don't know, I was a small boy, 19. But anyway, so I was screwing around. She goes, hush, hush, this is God's house. I remember I looked around at the paint chips. And I thought, wow, he needs a job. I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> He, brother needs, no wonder they take an offering. The brother needs help, you know. <laughs> Brother's got to get his. He ain't getting any. So uh, I realized I had a proclivity to believe. I was set up from the beginning. But I also recognize, and I see this in my own, my middle son, there's just a proclivity not to believe. Like, were you born in Missouri? Some of our friends who were atheists just are psychologically designed or they're just built wired maybe not to believe and here's why i have greater respect for that it's like thomas i won't believe until i can poke my hand in that wound and stick my hand in the side finger and hand rather and that this is one of those few times that god honors kind of a crazy request because i really think excuse me i'm convinced that he knew thomas meant that I'll believe if I have something to hang on to, but I don't want to risk getting my heart broken again or being disappointed again. So I think our atheist friends maybe, in many cases, maybe have more integrity than us, than people who claim to believe. And here's why. I, I know that how often I've read, as if somehow it's proof, silly stories to demonstrate um, how atheism is false. Because when an atheist... You know, it was in a plane or once in a scary situation. They cried out, oh, God, help me. And therefore, you can see that they really don't believe it internally. It's false. Doesn't that sound weak to you? Because I think, and I look at my own life, there's moments when I've been under stress. I really didn't behave like a Christian either. Any of you, you know, you were stellar. <laughs> You've never had a moment where you were like, oh, that wasn't, I wasn't at my best there. You know, mistakes were made. You know, I'm much better now. Thank you, officer. I'm ready to leave. You know? <laughs> right? Correct? So that, that doesn't fly with me. Because there's inconsistencies in both camps. You cannot demonstrate the validity and the rationality of your belief system by pointing to people. This is why Republicans are wrong. Look at them. One of them was sleeping with his aide. This is why Democrats are wrong. One of them was actually taking bribes. You know, you follow? People do that. As if that, oh... Oh, I guess I must be wrong. That's dumb. Let's grow up. Let's not think that a person's actions demonstrates the truthfulness of a system. What it may demonstrate is the person has not have the ability to live up to their systems, atheist or Christian. I mean, let, 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 me, let me ask a question, and so you can think in these terms. 
or when you're having a conversation with a friend that's, that maybe is actually struggling with this, what, what story best explains us? I once was mentioning to a friend who were at my house that, that the person with the best story, the best storytellers, win the culture. So I've often thought then, what, well, what story best explains us? See, all of you who are listening to me right now, those of you who've been on the podcast, you, you, you're listening, you have, in, you have emotions, you have intellect, you have will, you hopefully you have some intellect, you have will, you can decide, you feel, you recognize beauty, you have different standards, but you recognize what beauty is, you enjoy music probably. Where does that come from? Why do we love? What's this com- weird compulsion to, to, to be with somebody? That, that makes no sense in many cases. Remember the uh, iRobot um, movie with Will Smith, right? Kind of that, that ghost in the machine theme that was in the story. What is it that compels these creatures to, to be with one another? What, what story? Does atheism, a naturalistic, materialistic view, really explain us? Or does a supernatural view explain us? Does a supernatural view best explain who we are and why we are personal? I'll put it another way. If, um, <laughs> this is fixing. If you're a human being making something, right? You can only make something less than yourself. You can't make something greater than yourself. Follow? You can't make another human body that's more amazing than what you have. That makes sense, right? So you can only make something less than yourself. If we sprang out of nothing, a naturalistic, materialistic view, it doesn't explain personality because that would be something greater than nature itself. Why do we reason? Why do we think? Why do we feel? Why do we even care? Why do we know that we're caring, that we're reflecting upon ourselves? Which story best explains it? See, and this is where the, the, the two paths that, Christ, that monotheism and atheism follow are, are very are parallel. It's just that one has included God and the other has not. The conclusions are sometimes often surprisingly the same. The destinies maybe ultimately are not. I recall um, we have a friend who lives in Northern California, a young woman named, um, no, Pacific Northwest, excuse me. Her name is Selena. We have known, my wife and I have known her since she was 16. I think she's 32 now. She recently got married and she was, you know, she was one of these, you know, amazingly cool, you know, young women that doesn't try to be cool. She just is, you know, cool tats and just, very lovely person. She recently got married. And so she came here. She was one of those local Whittierites, you know, spent time at Lowell. Um, friend of yours, Selena. And so we were talking about faith and God and journey. And, and uh, you know, she wanted me to officiate her wedding. She was, but can you not include God? And I thought, well, but that's who I am. And she's, yeah, okay, I get it. Maybe you should. And this and that, because there might be some people that need that. And, and I want to believe it, but I don't. And just, you know, she was just processing all that with me. But she mentioned that she, was, she went to some of those cool hip churches up in the Pacific Northwest and she just like, it didn't fit for her. Because she said, I had too much respect for Christianity to A, call myself one, or B, have people speak flippantly about Christ. And so the place where this person who is that, you know, uber hipster felt most comfortable going to church was a Mennonite church. And here's the reason why. She's because I actually cared about people. 
You know, they, it's not just the way that they sang hymns, so that was lovely. It wasn't the fact that all the women wore dresses way past their knees and men had beards. Was, but you know what? They generally just loved people. And I went in there, I remember just looking for something, and they totally reached out to me. I never felt it was an affectation or disingenuous. And I remember even put it to the test. I was in between jobs and went and see the pastor. He goes, hey, man, I, here's my situation, you know, and I don't expect anything, but if you know of anybody that can help out, she goes, he actually took me in his car, bought groceries, paid my rent for two months. He said, anything else we can do for you, let us know. And here's the funny thing is, she says, there was so much love, I found myself pulling back. But I wanted to belong. See, I, I think in many cases, a person who is atheist has considered the implications, the monumental implications of what it means that God was there that they're holding back their commitment. And occasionally, I think myself and others here in this room, we just are accustomed to it, and we say, oh yeah, I'm committing to that, and a little too flippantly. We often have less respect for the name or the implications than an atheist does. I think it, finally, in closing, I'm going to a couple of thoughts and I'll re read one last passage for you. I think it's reasonable if I was a person who didn't believe. And I've often tried to get myself to think, okay, if I was this person, how would I think about this? How, do I, you know, how can I see it through their eyes? Well, could it, what does it feel like to hear that? Have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever wondered what it was like to hear the story of the rapture if you're not a follower of Jesus? I mean, doesn't it sound crazy? You were sort of accustomed to that notion. So you can see what it must sound like to somebody who doesn't believe in the supernatural law. You really believe what? Really? Just boom, just bye-bye, gone, right? Wow. It sounds nuts. I get why people think we're nuts. You, mostly, but not, you know, the... Okay, but let's pull back a little bit. Let's consider this. If there's an actual personal God that exists would be would it be reasonable to expect that God to act and speak right, this is this would be a dialogue now let's just say yes or no yes or no what do you think yes yeah I, I think so do you do you understand then the tension that our atheist friends must experience especially those who are philosophically or intellectually atheist to think I don't hear him speaking and I don't see him acting Turn the news on. You know, go to the internet. Look up stuff that's going on in our country, here in this frickin' Whittier, L.A. The slave trade. Would a just God allow that to concur? Um, I, I, I almost posted this thing on my Facebook. By the way, let's be friends. Uh, <laughs> not in need of affirmation. It was a, uh, a, a little chart graphic thing that said, how many slaves work for you? How many slaves, yeah, how many slaves work for you? And it, it uh, you, you put your zip code in, your age, things that you own, stuff that you have, da 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 And the basic products, you own cars, electronics, that kind of thing, and it'll point close, and it'll tell you essentially, you know, an average, but an educated guesstimate of how much of that was made by slave labor. Not minimum wage, not 
not nice conditions, slave labor. It was uncomfortable. <laughs> it was really uncomfortable to think about. Like, oh my gosh. Would a personal God let that go? I don't think about other weird sense. How many of you are first 48 hour fans? Just me? Okay, I'm the only twisted person. Uh, I, I, I don't know why I love murder shows, but real ones, that's just, I don't know. Whatever. No explanation for it. And every single time, I go, wow, that one man died and this family died. So if I was thinking about this as a friend uh, who was an atheist, what, do I think of it as a non-event? Or if you're really up there, how do you let this go? Now, I'm going to make a suggestion that God cares very deeply about this, which is why we should. And that maybe this isn't, you know, hey, do something about this. But the question is coming from him, hey, do something about this. I've spoken. I've acted. I've entered your history. I've shown you who I am. You claim to think it's a good idea and you joined my movement. What are you doing about it? But for an atheist, that would sound goofy. Unless he saw people who were followers of Jesus move on God's behalf. And I think this is where we fail occasionally that we are more historians and witnesses of Jesus. We often point to, oh, yeah, but he rose from the dead. And this person over here did this amazing thing. And that person did that over there. Well, what's your story? <laughs> Where's your amazing story about Jesus in your life? That, great. Thanks for the history lesson. You know, I get the history channel. I don't need your story. What I need is a witness. Hey, God has done this. I was in this situation. And here's what the difference it made to me. I'm going to suggest that almost every logical, amazing argument you have to demonstrate God exists is pretty meaningless to most people. For two reasons. Most people don't care what you think unless they know you care for them. And they sure don't care what God thinks unless they think God cares for them. It's the story that goes on and on forever that the most persuasive person in your life is the one you believe has your best interest in mind. This is why Jesus is persuasive. Because he does have our best interest in mind. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. And then one last thought. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you, you Ephesians, in this area here, you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is the way you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work at those who are disobedient. Verse 3, all of us lived among them at one time. All of us. We were all at one time in the same camp, essentially, as our atheist friends. And unfortunately, many times, even as followers of Jesus, we're practical atheists by the way we live. We're gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. And, and like the rest, we were by nature's object of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
verse 8. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Here's the key. And that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not by works, not by efforts, not intellectual works, not physical works, not something. So this way nobody can boast and brag, yeah, I, of course God wanted to rescue me. I'm an amazing man or woman. And finally, verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do good for others, to care about humanity, to care for our neighbors, to love our atheist friends, to love our Muslim friends, to love our Buddhist friends, to do good, to work side by side with anyone who's doing good, to serve others with others, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I, I remember it struck me verse 8 that even my ability that sometimes I had been very arrogant about to believe was God's gift to me I'm giving you this the ability to believe two paths one for our atheist friends have to you know this is where it takes so much I think the amount of courage the amount of movements in this it just takes courage to live a life excluding God and he was clear. He understood the implications of his belief system. My birth is an accident. All my work has no significance. And my death will be a non-event. That's, that's more courage than I can muster up myself. But wait. If I'm a monotheist, if I'm a follower of Jesus, my birth was planned. Everything I say and do has cosmic significance and my death is the second chapter of everything I wonder which one actually takes more courage to believe because I know that occasionally in my own life I, 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 I want to push back on the responsibility and the implications of, of believing there's a God each path requires courage to live out I think the, the kindest thing we can do for our atheist friends is to live out the life of courage, of faith. Demonstrate there's actually a God that does exist, which explains them and us. Hey, let me pray with you and dismiss this morning. I, I want to pause for us to collect our thoughts and just recognize who we claim we're speaking to. Father, who are we? that you would give us a thought when we consider all the things that you have made the beauty of um, planets and stars how you filled this particular planet this blue planet with life you made us a little bit less than angels but given us an amazing amazing story to live out who are we? You've chosen to commit your entire life to us, to love us, and we have been um, resistant, stubborn, uh, faithless, often, often pulling away from you. And yet you've shown your faithfulness generation after generation for generations. You've healed us. You sustain us. You fill our lives with goodness, like friends, love, 
music, dance, food, beauty, art, the oceans, clothes, <laughs> museums, our homes, our bodies. You've given us good things. And we rarely thank you. Worse, because we know you, we become arrogant. We think there was something unique about us that compelled you to rescue us, forgetting your incredible kindness and grace. Forgive us. I pray that you help us see our friends in this, on this globe. It's not the others, but it's us. To see you in each of them, how you stamped your Imago Dei, your image in their souls, that we can call out and show them that they intuitively know, they intuitively wish to go home. Home that you are that home. You are that place where we finally rest. We pray right now for our friends, our family members who are not connected to you through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask you to please rescue them. Heal their minds, break their addictions. We pray the same for ourselves too. Help us heal our minds, break our addictions, cut through all of our goofiness and uh, help us to see your son clearly that we may, may love him more sincerely. I, I pray because of this series that we take serious the people around us to have conversations about you. To not only to love, but to speak your words of truth into their lives. To invite them into our life. So they would know you. We thank you. You are an incredibly good God. We have a debt, a debt to pay for your kindness that we owe to every living man, woman, and child to live up to the name Christian. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.